Hey, Intertrekkies, this is Ryan. I just wanted to apologize for releasing our episode late this week. Um, I've been down with a cold respiratory virus, which is hopefully not COVID. And uh, Becca is recovering from a bike accident. So we had a lot of trouble um, being well enough to edit the episode this week, but it's coming to you now. And we really appreciate your patience. I hope all of you are healthy and safe and not too bored, uh, self-isolating in your homes. Uh, Oh, also, quick content warning. We have a brief discussion of rape in this episode, and we discuss suicide and mental illness. This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. All right. Hi. Hi, Becca. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Hi. everybody. Hi, listeners. We just watched this episode, Broken Pieces. Episode mm-hmm. number eight. Mm-hmm. My primary compl- my primary feeling is there's not enough seven. Yeah, and I think that's my overarching Star Trek Picard season one issue. So <laughs> you know, not news. There was a lot of seven the last time she showed up. This mm-hmm. time she showed up, it was like mostly action. I think what was happening with her was really interesting, uh, but we don't really get to see her deal with that yet. I I liked this episode. It um, answered a lot of our questions. Yeah. Um, it's very much like we have spent seven episodes putting together puzzle pieces. Now, here's what the picture is. And that's what they do in this episode. Yeah. We start out on Aya, the grief world, which is trapped in the center of an eight star solar system i guess yeah cool i feel like every time i learn more about the galaxy in star trek it's even bigger than it was last time they can't find anything i liked a lot of things about this first scene which has a bunch of women standing around like a pool with a green canopy of energy light in it on it near it above it Whatever. It's like a fence around it. Yeah. That was and my interpretation. They all grab it and then most of them go mad. But we learn a few key things like Commodore O and Sister Incest and uh, Ramda, the myth maven. Myth. Rhonda. <laughs> um are all there. And I thought it was interesting that it seemed to me like all of the people who were in that circle were women. Yeah, that I all of the people in that circle were Romulan women or female presenting. Mm -hmm. Um, I am actually, you know, it's been far enough in this series that I have actually started to wonder what sister fuckboy slash sister incest's name actually is. Like what her actual name is. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, if you, you can keep talking while I look at it. All right, so wait, what's her name? Okay, so her name is Peyton List. The actress's name. The actress's name. Her name is also Lieutenant Narissa Rizzo. Okay. But that was her name. 
that was her name in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. So is that her name? I mean, Romulans don't ever tell anybody their real name. I know, but is it even her public Romulan name or is it her pretending to be a human when she was in Starfleet name? I think this Feels is like why. it must be her pretend human name. Okay, so we don't know her name. Yeah. She's now a major character. She's gone from like irritating her brother and showing up every few scenes as his handler to being like a major the p- driver of the plot of like what the what's going on in the Borg cube she's the antagonist yeah mm-hmm. and she's like in the Jat Vash like it's like who yeah. are you um, so I don't feel bad anymore about calling her sister incest <laughs> sister fuckboy Romulan spy yeah because we don't know her name we, she's got all of the names and um, yeah and so she has like she gains her life's purpose in this scene where Commodore O is um, administering this ritual with these women who are standing around this pool and they all get that horrible like apocalypse vision from the future past. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it drives some of them crazy like immediately. It drives everybody crazy except for Sister Incest. Yeah. And we also learned that Ramda is her aunt, is their aunt. Yeah. Yeah. So she's there. And so this is also, I'm not sure when this is taking place, but it is like before the Jatvash ship got assimilated into the Borg cube. Right. And it's like Ramda's madness from that experience that led to this Borg cube being impaired in whatever way it is that it's impaired. Yeah, all of these threads are coming together, right? And I mean, fucking finally, it's kind of how I feel about this. Yeah. Uh, but I also really just want to spend more time on this planet that's like apparently trapped in the middle of eight stars because that sounds like a crazy awesome place to be. It sounds really hot. <laughs> it sounds really hot. I don't know how close it is to those other stars. Mm-hmm. Um, like if they're in a constellation or if the planet is interacting with all those stars, it sounds hot. It looks beautiful. Uh, I kind of love this scene as a way of exposition because you have a character explaining to all the other characters what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And then in our next scene, we have Sister Fuckboy talking to Aunt Rhonda today when she's <laughs> in her, like, I'm an XB and I'm in a coma because I met Soji. Right. Coma. And she just goes on this, like, soliloquy explaining all of her frustration and explaining their backstory and like what happened to her and what happened to her ship and the Borg cube. And it feels very like super villain slash Shakespearean. Mm. She just like goes on this like character monologue and it made her feel more evil and more interesting. And I love it. And it makes me really sad that like all her scenes earlier in the series were so annoying in one note. Yeah, I agree. I like, yes. Maybe she just is better when she's by herself or like yeah. she's playing against somebody who doesn't actually have any lines. Right? <laughs> yeah, I liked that scene, too, with her talking to Ramda on her deathbed. At one point, she's like, I think you're just malingering. And I like, I don't know. I think the concept of malingering is really interesting and like heavy and uh, ableist mm. and um, often like a way for people in power to punish people who have less power for struggling because they have less power. Which is very Romulan. Mm. I think the Romulans, uh, similar to the Cardassians, are very interested in power dynamics and power struggle. Yeah. One of the things that I'm wondering about, like, you know, discovering that these 
that this group of people are all women and that the Kawat Malat are also all women. And so this is kind of pointing to Romulan society is at least like secretly controlled by like a matriarchy. Cool, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I would I would buy it. Definitely there are a lot of Romulan women who show up as high-ranking people in the next generation. That's true. They picked Troy to go undercover mm. as Tal Shiar. So I think it's a much more egalitarian society. Yeah. Appears that way. And I think we're getting, I think we're getting more color and that color is pointing to that, the case, or even, even that it's not egalitarian so much as that like women have a significant amount of power. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So we leave Ramda's sick bed mm-hmm. and we go to the drama that's playing out on the rest of the cube, which is, uh, Romulans v. XBs and, Elnor's like cowering in an alcove and he gets beset by some goons and he almost is defeated by them. But then Seven shows up and she blasts them all and saves him. Yay, Seven. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And he's real sad and gives her a big hug. We don't see him tell her about Hugh. We assume that happens off screen, but that's part of why he's sad. Yeah, I think she asks him, where's Hugh? And he just like runs and hugs her. So I think that they they communicate that he is dead, Mm -hmm. not um, on screen. But yeah, it's what a bummer. Mm. What do you think about their arc for this episode? You mean the like Elnor and Seven team up? Yeah. So kind of the the end point or nearly the end point of their arc in this episode is that Seven takes on the role of the queen of this particular mini collective yes on the cube yeah and she does yeah. that because it's the only way to reactivate the rest of the borg cuz they're like this is a resource that we could use to win this fight mm-hmm. and uh so that all the xbs aren't killed and so we can take over the cube and She's like, there needs to be a, there needs to be an organizing uh, principle to their thoughts because they're not going to reconnect to the rest of the collective. They're too far away and mm-hmm. we don't really know what state the rest of the collective is in. And she expresses concern that she won't want to give them up, that they won't want to be given up. This has a lot of uh, trauma behind it, this decision beyond just her whole arc of having separated from the Borg and becoming an individual, like she knows this could go south. Yeah, I mean she she's really she's really right about that. Like she has a lot of personal experience understanding that. Um and so she hesitates to do it and I think her hesitation is what results in the Romulans having time to get their act together enough to like vent all of the drones into space. So yeah. really like in this particular case, because she's dealing with that past trauma, she is not as able to respond in the moment with the right, like, tactical choice, even though the right tactical choice is probably um, the wrong thing to do from, like, a mental health and well-being perspective. Um, so that's an interesting conflict that kind of comes up. Yeah, and one of the things that one of the things that I think has been bothering me about Picard is because we're sort of in. We're sort of in this world that's outside of Starfleet in 
old Star Trek, when something like this would happen, we would be told, like, a third of the drones were vented out of the ship because mm. there would be some sort of officer in charge of understanding what was happening or scanning things. And, like, I just feel like we have very minimal sense of numbers for any action, anything that's happened. Like, we don't know how many Romulans died when their planet went supernova or when their sun went supernova and how mm. many are left. We don't know how many drones were vented out. Like, was it most of them? Was it a few of them? Are there any left? How many are left? Was it the XBs? I don't know. And I understand that's like inconvenient to tell me, but I want to know it. Yeah, I think we're supposed to just kind of guess or like it's not important. What's important is that ma- the massacre is happening. Um, but, but yeah, it would I be good like- to have some some detail around that because then it actually gives it an emotional anchor. Yeah, because it's like if you're going to kill a bunch of people, but then there's still a bunch of people left to the audience. It doesn't really feel like anyone died. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel sad unless we know the impact. Like we see her be sad, but then the next the next moment she connects and then so like she puts these tubes into her back her eyes go weird and she and then you hear like we are borg and so i'm like okay they didn't all go how many of them went like they're still here so it feels like that choice didn't have consequences because we didn't really ground it in any scope yeah I mean, it kind of feels like what happened was she plugged in and then immediately afterwards she's like hooked into the consciousness of a thousand people being vented out the airlock. And so it was Uh, like, is that what she just lived? She just lived like kind of mass murder. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I, I hope that we deal with the repercussions or the ramifications of that in the next episode. But it also like lines up with my primary complaint about their storyline this episode is that it felt rushed and it felt like we didn't actually spend enough time with them. I was complaining to you that every scene that we got with them was like 30 seconds and then immediately commercial break. And then when we were coming back from commercial, we're like back on La Serena. I don't know. I mean, like there's, there's obviously storytelling choices that need to be made when you have a certain amount of time and you have like a certain amount of information to convey. Um, and to no one's surprise, I want more seven. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I want more Elnor, too. I mean, like, he's just kind of being the wide-eyed, like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, do you know what happened? Does Sister Spy escape? Do the Borg kill everyone? I know that at the end of this, they've got the cube under mm-hmm. their control. Yeah, I think Sister Incest escapes. Okay. Um, other than that, it seems like some of the Romulans got off of the ship and warped away. Um, but probably a lot of them didn't survive. Yeah. I'm wondering again, what's going on with Dr. Nashala and in general, what's going on with like the Federation citizens yeah. who were working on the artifact who weren't Romulan and work Borg and like, are we going to see any consequences from that? Key questions. Hard um, to know. At the end of our, this is, I guess, our B plot. Um, cutie elf man looks at Seven and is like, are you going to assimilate me? Oh. And she, in like Borg voice, is like, Annika is still needed elsewhere. Or Annika has other things to do and they release her. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're just left with lots of questions about what's going on with them. But maybe they're going to figure out how to link back up with Picard. And the rest of the Motley crew. All right. So we we can now go back to our A plot and uh, talk about what's going on on La Serena. Rios, we get a lot about Rios's backstory in this episode. And 
a lot of it comes from like kind of wonderfully charming interactions with his collection of emergency holograms. I love them. They are great. They're also <laughs> pure. They're all this weird hybrid of like his personality and like the onboard preset personalities of the the hollow workers on this ship. Mm-hmm. Um, so at some point, one of them explains to Rafi that when he got onto the ship, when he bought the ship, when he acquired the ship, he self-scanned. And then the self-scanner took that as a template for all of the five preformed hollows. Mm-hmm. So they're all this like hybrid personality. And then he edited them somewhat and edited their knowledge a little bit so that they're slightly different. They don't know everything he knows, but they know a lot about what he knows. Mm-hmm. And collectively, they know more than they do individually. Um, But before we get to that scene, Picard and Soji come on board. And Rios reacts bewildered. He's just like, how is it possible that I'm looking at this woman? I, for a moment, was like, God, God, was her sister his lover? Like, what's happening? Um, And so he, like, he welcomes them, but he is uh, totally thrown for a loop. And then we see him go to his cabin and um, look through his mementos. Yeah. Um, He goes through his mementos, which appears to be a box filled with Starfleet pips (laughs) and photographs photograph of his his captain who we were reminded of in the previously on of this episode mm-hmm. that he was like a Alonzo Vandermeer was Rios's version of Picard. Yeah, he like hero worshipped him. He had daddy issues about him, uh similar <laughs> to how everyone on Voyager had mommy issues about about Janeway. Janeway. He really hero worshipped this man and something mm-hmm. terrible happened. And then we see a sketch with two people on it, and one of them has the Soji Dodge face. Yes. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) Um, Also, like, in in the earlier scenes here, we get um, Rafi downloading with Picard about what happened with Aggie. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, it's... It's bad. Like Picard just shows up and is, has his whole plan, which he consults no one on. He's not. He's still not ready rooming, right? He right. he ready roomed at Nepenthe, but he didn't bring it back onto La Serena with him. He's still acting kind of arrogant. He's still like, what we are doing next is we're going to Deep Space Twelve. I'm going to call up that admiral who told me to fuck off before and hope she doesn't tell me to fuck off again. Yeah. Um, and, and like no one is seems cool with this plan, least of all Soji. And then before they even like get to really criticizing it, Rafi like pulls a gun on her and is like, uh, why is this bitch here? Do you know anything about her? We already had one traitor on board. She and Rafi has now like pieced together that Aggie killed Bruce Maddox, that she had been the one who was being tracked, um, that the reason that she put herself into this coma was to try to, like, disable the bio tracker. So she's just like, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust a new face. I especially don't trust, like, a young, innocent-looking woman's face. Like, we're not okay. (laughs) Yeah, there are so many trust issues going throughout this show, and it seems like people can get betrayed once, and they've lost all their capacity to trust. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like Rafi had a huge capacity to trust to begin with, so it's strange that she got so taken in by Aggie. Although, elsewhere in this episode, she claims that she was right about her, and I'm like, when? When were you right about her? 
Well, I think right at the beginning, she was like, we're bringing this lady along? What? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I forgot about that. We then see Picard going to talk to uh, Commander Karen. Admiral Karen? Clancy. Her name's Kristen Clancy. I keep thinking of her as Karen (laughs) because she's just this like disgruntled older lady. And it reminds me of those memes. Oh, my gosh. She curses at him again. I, I fully love this woman. She's like real old. She's real sassy. And she says fuck to Picard every time they have a conversation. Mm hmm. Yeah, when she first showed up, um, I looked up their relative ages because I was curious about that. And she, as a person, is some, I think, 15 years younger than Sir Patrick Stewart. Okay. So if she's her actual age, she's possibly like 30 years younger than him. Right. Because <laughs> he's Is like, he old? He, he's playing up by like seven or 10 years. Hmm. Interesting. He's supposed to be 93 on the show. Even though he's like 87 in real life yeah. or 75 I, in real life. I don't know. I think we're supposed to understand them to be contemporaries. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think, is she there as a hologram? Is yeah. that what's happening? Yeah, they're having a hologram meeting. Okay. They, they've returned to the rejected technology that they had in Discovery. Sorry, I'm, go- I'm just going down my nerd thing. I think what's great about this scene is that she's now like, okay, we see that what you're saying has merit because things things that are happening line up with your version of events. Mm-hmm. And yes, we will send you a squadron to uh, Deep Space 12 to rendezvous. Hopefully she doesn't tell Commodore O. But this is the thing. I think her, I think her clock is ticking. I think she's going to get dead real soon. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah. I was like, at least he called her. And not the other one? Not Commodoro directly? Yeah. Do they even know about each other? Does Picard... Does Picard know about Commodore O? Not at this point in the episode. Or no, I think what he knows of her is what Aggie tells him. Right. Um, Which is that she came to visit her, and it was her who implanted this doomsday prediction slash memory um, that motivated her to kill Dr. Maddox. And is now, like, she's like, I reject this. I'm done murdering people. I don't, like, I don't accept that this is the thing that's going to be happening. It was poison in my mind that that you did, that Commodore O did that. Yeah, that makes a lot m- more sense than that she would just learn this information, believe it, and decide to kill Bruce. She was like suffering all these mental health symptoms and yeah and the way that she talks about being mind melded really does kind of reinforce this like it can be akin to rape that we've been talking about yeah um because she's like she put her fingers on my face and like poisoned my mind yeah and it like it has really violent language around it and it's interesting also that she doesn't call it a mind meld and so I'm, like, wondering if she doesn't know what mind-melding is somehow in this universe or if she's, like, it didn't, like, it didn't register as a mind-meld in that it wasn't, like, something that was intimate and kind and positive feelings. I don't know. If you contrast that scene to what happened at the beginning of the episode 
where Commodore O warned all of the hooded women in the circle. And so they're all opting in. And like this detail of there being a mental block around it. So she was, until other people started filling it in for her, unable to tell people what she had seen. Uh, mm-hmm. So she's got this thing in her head and she can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she tells Picard that mm. she's been suicidal since this happened to her. Yeah. Yeah, it's really extreme. She's like contemplating suicide as how I have hope for this situation. It's very, it's very dark. And I think it's, I think that the reason that it's very, that it's working well in the story that it's happening to this particular person is that she has naturally like a very kind of upbeat, optimistic view of the universe. And so it's like kind of even more difficult for her to deal with it because she isn't already cynical and jaded. We jumped ahead a little bit in talking about it, but like that scene also serves to make her a sympathetic character again, even though we've seen her murder Bruce, which was bad, even though I hated him Mm -hmm. and then endanger all of our characters, which is worse. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Can't help but talk about my Bruce Maddox hate. I mean, Um, he sucks. Yeah, but, like, we don't see her as the villain of the ship now. Like, she said she'll turn herself in. She said that um, a few other things happened. But definitely the evidence of her torturing herself and having mental illness fallout from what has happened to her makes you as the audience be a bit more endeared to her again. Mm -hmm. It's not just that she's been activated or turned as an agent. Right, yeah. Her internal conflict makes her um, sympathetic, for sure. Mm -hmm. I guess I think next Raffi begins going around the ship talking to all the different emergency holograms. Mm, yes. Uh, first, she, she talks to Enoch, which is great because it's like E-N-H, the mm-hmm. emergency navigational hologram. Mm-hmm. And he's the he, he's, he's the Irishman the... who fancies himself like a, a casual psychologist that we met in the first episode. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, he, he, the one who like tried to psychoanalyze. Rios. Um, right. Yeah. And we've got the emergency engineering hologram, Ian. Yes. And Ian... Uh, <laughs> has a Scottish accent. Ian has a Scottish accent, which we were hoping for. Yeah. We were like, when are we going to have the Scottish engineering person? it's like Scotty. Scotty. Beat yeah. me up, Scotty. Yeah. Uh, that was fantastic. And he comes complete with like... Scottish slang, he says Ken instead of no, mm-hmm, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is great. Um, we we briefly see Emmett again, who's like the drunken Spanish speaking pilot, right? He what 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 is he the what is he the what is the M in his? I don't know. That was the episode you did with Molly, right? <laughs> so I, I didn't watch it as carefully. Like what he is. Uh, anyway, maybe he's the emergency tactical hologram. I feel like um, emergency maritime. Emergency <laughs> hologram. <laughs> uh, and we've got the emergency medical hologram, of course. Whose name I forgot. Uh, and, so, and the emergency hospitality hologram. Right. Yeah, right. there are five of them. The emergency hospitality hologram is the most finicky. He's like obsessed with like grooming himself and like is like afraid to to touch Emmett and is just very like fastidious in <laughs> how he holds himself and moves his arms about. It's um, but the first hologram tells him about Jan- Jana. Jana, yeah, um, um, and also helps her figure out about the Conclave of Eight. 
Mm-hmm. What are the Conclave of Eight? So the Conclave of Eight, originally, Rafi believed were like eight Romulans who were conspiring to instigate this synth attack on Mars. Um, but now she's like, oh, maybe they mean the Conclave of Eight because it took place in this octanary star system, mm-hmm. which is also where... Aya, the grief planet is. Um, and it's like she speculates that the, or she, along with the holograms, speculate that this octanary system was purpose made yeah. as a way to signal to the universe that really important information and a warning herein lies, and that they have to like go there in order to get the the apocalypse memory slash premonition but i think it's cool like i just like the idea of eight stars locked in an orbital system with each other i've always been kind of really intrigued by the concept of binary stars and how they're locked in an orbit with one another it's really cool okay (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay, so then Jana, who's that? Oh, so Jana is Soji, I guess. Um, Enoch tells her that he recognizes this person, that it is Jana, and she's like, who's Jana? And he's like, I don't know. Um, the next one that she goes to is the engineering hologram, who has Scotty's accent. Um, he knows that seeing Jana is bound to upset Rios. Rios, but doesn't know why. And she's slowly starting to put together that they know stuff about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, after this, she, like, runs back to her room to get a drink because she's, like, j- like frustrated and excited about things. And she can't. And the EHH shows up to explain to her that she disabled the alcohol content uh, on her replicator. Is that still happening? I think it's just the doorbell. Is it our doorbell? Hmm, Maybe we should take a break. Okay. Good. Hey, Intertrekkies. This is Ryan coming to you with your mid-episode break. I want to make a plug for our pod fan where you can get bonus episodes. That's at pod.fan slash intertrectional. In a few days, we will come out with our bonus episode for late March, early April, covering the Black Mirror episode USS Callister, which is a send-up in many ways of Star Trek. And later this month, our late April, early May bonus episode will be on the Purge films, perhaps the first Purge, which in many ways are inspired by Star Trek's the original series episode, Return of the Archons and our uh, deeply political series that has a lot to do with poverty and race relations in the United States and classism. So if you're into lefty politics, you might enjoy our upcoming analysis of The Purge. You can join for um, $3 a month. Uh, We have a few other tiers, but it's pretty cheap, and we'll also send you a sticker And this money helps keep the podcast alive, helps us improve our sound quality, and generally be able to afford to 
keep doing this. It takes about the amount of time of having an extra part-time job on top of uh, what Becca and I do for our regular lives. Even if you can't do it, uh, we appreciate you listening. We love you all. And just listening is enough. And we're back. Welcome back. Yay. So you were about to say that the EHH is, reminds Rafi that she can't have booze from her replicator. Yes. Yeah. And we were trying to place his accent and we were like, maybe it's American. And I eventually decided it was like Jack Nicholson's accent. Yeah. It feels very much like that. Yes. Or like uh, Christian Slater doing an impression of Jack Nicholson, <laughs> which is was most of his early career. I like all of them. I'm like really, really into this choice that the show made to have all of the holograms also be Santiago Cabrera. And just he's like knocking it out of the park. So she decides to get them all in a room. <laughs> hmm. And, like, tries to, like, play detective with them, but isn't really getting anywhere. Yeah, well, she finds, I think she finds out some important things that Jana is, like, somehow related to whatever happened that may, that resulted in um, Captain Rios leaving Starfleet. Yes. And there's a great moment of all of them hitting themselves in the head at the same time. Right. Which is just great. (laughs) Oh, we should try to get a screen cap of that. Yes. Um, Yeah. And then this is when we learn that his captain mentor uh, killed himself because one of them gestures shooting himself in the mouth Mm -hmm. with a finger gun. Mm -hmm. And Rafi takes all of this information just... Uh, I was hoping that some fun shit would happen the first time we met one of his hollow programs, who is himself. And it's we're finally getting this payoff. They also make lots of little comments of like, he needs to talk to someone who doesn't look like me. Because <laughs> they're like, that's what I would need if I were him. They're mm-hmm. all like him, but more emotionally whole. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think they're less. It is unclear to me whether or not they are like sentient in the way that like the doctor from Voyager is sentient. Yeah. Yeah. And the doctor of in Voyager became sentient over time. Like he was a bit when he showed up, but he was running nearly continuously. He Mm -hmm. developed his own personality. I feel like these guys are, but I also feel like they're in some world of being kind of like, like I get turned on and then I get turned off. Like it's fine. Mm -hmm. And Um, but I kind of, I don't know. I love this so much. Like you were talking last episode about how you really want to go live on that pizza farm in that planet. Pizza farm. (laughs) I want, I want my own ship. I want five versions of me that are more skilled than I am and can do everything for me. And then when I have a bad day, I just go lock myself in my room and things keep happening. I love it. It sounds Um, pretty nice. So at this point she decides to seek out real Rios. Um, and we get kind of this neat parallel to when he helped her out when she was drunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's drunk and sad and dealing with an old memory and she brings him some coffee this time and sits across from him and like is like, tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. So even though we don't know exactly where their pasts intersect, you really get the feeling that these two are like old friends who genuinely care each- for each other without even having to be told that. 
Right. And that they're like their relationship is strong enough that even when they're like cursorily fuck off, I don't need anybody right now. They're like, actually, you do. And that person is me. And I'm going to get you a coffee instead of a bourbon. And I'm going to ask you about your um, your big sad sitting on the floor with all of your mementos. And she's not even mad at him that he accused her of being the plant or like being the one who was being tracked last episode. Like that's old news. Yeah. Over that. Quickly let that go. She, uh, Rafi comes to Rios and then he opens up to her and tells her the story finally of like why he left Starfleet. And the reason is that a, a man and a woman, the man named Beautiful Flower and the woman named Jana uh, showed up as ambassadors to the ship that he was like first officer on. And they were like being treated to a meal. And all of a sudden in walks his captain, Captain Vandermeer, who he had been like really into and just like shoots them. Yeah, like kills them point blank. Yes. And this kind of breaks Rios's brain. I think that he was um, forming an attachment to these two characters that he in that moment felt very betrayed because it didn't seem to line up with his understanding of Starfleet values. It didn't line up with his understanding of Captain Vandermeer as a person and as a like a role model and an idol and a father figure in a lot of ways. And so Rios was like pushing him on like, why did you do that? Turns out it was because it was this like black order or black flag directive. And which I think is just TV for like spy shit. Spy shit. Exactly. Which apparently also came from Commodore O. So she's uh-huh. been pulling the strings about this for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Even all the way back to the Mars attack. And so Vandermeer kills himself. And he was like, if I disobeyed, they would have destroyed the whole ship. Right. Oh, yes. Right. They were like, you have to kill them and erase all data information that was gathered about them and then, like, go about your merry way. And he tries, but he can't. So his solution, it's unfortunate. It kind of keeps coming up as a theme in this episode that, like. Suicide? Suicide is the solution to being in the really like uh yeah so as a not psychologist mm. my understanding is that people do become vulnerable to suicide when they don't see other options mm-hmm. um whether it's because of mental illness or if it's because of an actual circumstance or a combination of the two that it's like desperation and lack of hope mm-hmm. and lack of a seeing a way out of the situation obviously um not a medical professional, don't know what I'm talking about. And also like just parroting things that I've read. And also I don't think that that is comprehensive of all the reasons uh, behind suicide. Yeah. And so I think there's, there's this interesting theme in this episode where like Aggie in this case and Captain Vandermeer are like both engaging with suicide in some way. I think it also points to what Picard has been going through and how his choice was to retreat from Starfleet and kind of retreat from his life and his people and everything that had meaning for him. Like he wasn't, I don't, I, I, who knows if he was ever actually suicidal, but he was definitely depressed. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's these interesting parallels of people all finding that the cognitive dissonance between their beliefs and their set of values 
and the situations that they found themselves in or like were forced into or all lead them to this place of there's no choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another thing that this episode is looking at is how information and knowledge can be like a virus Mm. and infect you because we see all of the women who are given the Jatvash information have mental consequences. It's like this this brain worm, this like evil mental health brain virus that's being passed around. <laughs> yeah, and it really like emphasizes the power that fear has to drive people to take actions that do not align with who they really want to be. Because mm-hmm. um, all of these, all of these actions are in one way or another a downstream effect of the fear of annihilation that this memory prediction it like has been spreading like a weird meme fear leads to anger anger leads to hate and hate leads to the dark side hate leads to suffering hate leads to suffering I mean, um, we're about to go into different sci-fi land when we get to this planet or in like Battlestar Galactica universe yeah. of like biological androids existing in exact copies of themselves. Exactly. This is this brings up something that I wanted to say is I think that this episode is the best evidence yet that your theory is correct, that we have another person who is already dead, but who looks like Soji and Daj. Doesn't really bode well for Soji that they keep dying. No. And she's still grappling with the problems that faced her last episode of um, who am I? Am I really a person? She's right. doubting everything. Like, is this an implanted opinion or is this something I truly like? And one of the things we learn about her is that she likes French fries and peppermint ice cream. <laughs> yeah, this this is like, so I wanted to talk about this. There's kind of two meals yeah. that do a lot of work in this episode. The first one is like, what I titled in my notes, Sad Breakfast, (laughs) (laughs) where Picard and um, Soji sit down to bacon and eggs together. And Picard's like, what do you do you like this food? And she's like, I wish I could answer that. I have no idea if I like eggs, if that's even real. Yeah. Then in the course in the course of this conversation, Picard tells Soji about data. They have like a conversation about whether or not they loved each other. And it's all very sweet. And it's also a little bit tragic because in that scene, um, Soji asks him if he loved Data and he can't say yes. And I think that the reason that he that he has a hard time saying yes to that is that he's acknowledging and kind of owning up to the fact that he was a very stoic and like emotionally repressed person Mm -hmm. while he was aboard the Enterprise Mm -hmm. and kind of the only times that we got like cracks in that was when Deanna was like I know what you're feeling yeah I will be the one who actually emotes yeah and so when he doesn't have that when he doesn't have the power of an empathic counselor like next to him he doesn't like having feelings this is such a great plug for therapy it's such a great plug for therapy (laughs) um and so he's i think in addition to carrying around the regret of data having sacrificed himself to save picard he's also carrying around the regret of having never like 
explicitly said, Data, I love you like a son. Like, I have all of this respect for you. And that he does now have the opportunity to to do that for Soji. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. He's doing a good job with her. And I think that we're finally, like, Soji's relaxed enough so that she can feel that part of her her basic self mm-hmm. that Dodge like initially felt in seeking out Picard in the first place, which is like everything inside me says that I can trust you. Yeah. Um, and so I think Soji's like coming around to that, even yeah. though her trauma. Yes. Um, we see Soji talk to Aggie. Mm-hmm. And I think we briefly touched on this, but Aggie had woken up from her coma, was confronted by Picard, and explained to Picard all the shit that went down. Soji walks in the room and is all like, hmm, are you going to kill me? Hmm? And then I guess for reasons beyond comprehension, Picard leaves them alone together. Yeah, that is interesting to me. He's just like, well, I guess this is fine. Everybody's already tried to kill each other once, so they're not going to do it again? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he might be thinking that Soji can defend herself, but I mean, is it... But, like, she could also kill Agnes, like, and anyway, just whatever. Yeah, I thought the scene was really, was very enjoyable to watch, and I like having these two actresses together. It's but very I, complicated. It's super complicated, and I think that it's complicated in part because Aggie isn't really seeing her yet as a person. She's seeing her as a creation of her former mentor slash lover, and she's like, oh... You drink when you're thirsty. And she's mesmerized. Yeah, it's really, it feels more like objectification. It's similar to how Bruce Maddox treated Data when he first met him. Right. Yes. Soji picks up on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think Soji is like trying to embrace her origins because like, I mean, that's really the way to a solid. Yeah, she's going for like integration. Exactly. I think it's going to be a little bit rocky between her and Aggie because of this like admiration that feels not like being treated like a person, but being treated like an object. So she asks Aggie straight up, do you think I'm a person? And Aggie eventually says, I do now. And I wouldn't have agreed to kill you after meeting you. Mm. She she declares at some point in this episode that she's done murdering people. She also tells everybody, sorry, guys. Sorry for fucking everything up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which is our second fuck of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the first fuck is out of uh, Admiral Clancy's mouth. The scene at the table with the french fries and the peppermint ice cream is really, really great. Yeah, so he offers her that he knows he likes those things because that's what Jana Jana was eating. Yes. Yeah, and she does like them. Yeah. And she's into it. And uh, And she's like, how did you know? Yeah, yeah. We get something more similar to a ready room in this scene. We've got everyone together. They're sort of discussing what's happened before and what's going to happen next and what their plans should be. And then Soji does what I guess everyone is afraid that androids will do Anyway, it goes and tries to take over the ship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I have. I just have to say that I really love peppermint ice cream. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to have some now. I've had a peppermint milkshake. Very and cool. I also love french fries. So I'm on board with this meal, even I, though she isn't pregnant. The food in this show is on point, starting with the wine in the first episode. Mm-hmm. 
Soji tries to take over the ship. She does. She like sets up a force field. She's like, we are not going. Her new view of herself, and it feels very dated to me, is that all of those people on that planet are my siblings. Mm -hmm. And we got to go save them. And they know where they are because of me. Right. And we so basically going to Deep Space 12 and waiting for the fleet and hoping that these authority figures agree with what she thinks they should do is no longer an option. And instead of trying to convince them of that, she just takes over the ship and sets up a force field, Mm -hmm. which Rios takes down by singing a Spanish lullaby about rice and milk. (laughs) It's great. The only Spanish words I know are food words. I'm a terrible American. (laughs) I mean, everybody should learn Spanish. And then he's all like, you're going to get us killed. You don't even have like the shields or the other things like set up correctly. She's going to take them to a Borg transwarp node. Mm-hmm. So we've got all this Borg technology coming back in from Voyager. The transwarp is like the way that the Borg can get across the galaxy so quickly. And she knows how to do this because, I don't know, she's an android. Because she absorbed some knowledge while she was on board the Borg cube. Oh, there's there's one other thing that I wanted to mention that they talk about at the French fries and peppermint ice cream table. Yeah. Is that everybody at the table in some way essentially, has been betrayed by Starfleet. And what he says is that the ban on synthetics was the original betrayal. I think he says this to Rios. Mm. They have a little heart-to-heart. Right. He's like, this isn't... Y'all didn't know Data. Data was great. There is no way Data would lead to the apocalypse. Whatever is going on, machinations of the Romulan um, spy apparatus, that is what's wrong with what's happening. And synthetic life itself is not inherently wrong. It's a form of life that's worthy of protecting as derived from Starfleet values of seeking out new life yeah. And new civilizations. Yeah. And at, at some point, he's like, even if this is what happened 20,000, 200,000, however many, many... 200,000 years ago. Yeah. That doesn't mean that's what's going to happen this time. Exactly. But there yeah. is... But I think we get more color on the prediction memory, which is that the, the Romulans believe that there is a tipping point for synthetic life development, which will bring the Seb Cheneb, the destroyer and this annihilation. I'm a little confused because like they Soji claims it's her. Um, but it also in that scene sounded a little bit to me like someone else is going to show up. Some entity that's waiting for something akin to a warp signature. There's definitely an episode of the animated series where the Paradise Planet, which is like run by psychic pleasure robots, decided that it hates people and it wants to make friends with the ships and kill all the people. Nice. And like, <laughs> Uhura like talks it down. Mm, nice. So like, maybe it's the Paradise Planet. It could be. But so, okay, so where is everybody at the end of this episode? Seven is on the Borg Cube with... And they're going she somewhere. The, the Borg consciousness. She got out of the Borg consciousness. The cube zaps off to somewhere. Mm-hmm. Dr. Fuckboy Narek is on his way to the planet with the three red moons and the lightning storms. Mm-hmm. Um, La Serena is also onto this planet because after Soji takes over the ship, they all then agree that it's a good idea, but she has to let them help her. Um, right. She doesn't actually know how to run the ship as well as she thinks she does. Yeah. And she's like, Rios is like, you're just going to bust us apart inside this transwarp conduit. Like, please don't. 
I'm really looking forward to the next two episodes, which are a two-parter. Figure out to like wrap all this up. Everybody's headed to the same place, I think. I'm looking forward for the next two episodes to be over so I can go back and binge it like proper TV watching. (laughs) (laughs) 2020 proper TV watching. Yeah. Okay, I think we should wrap up. I I don't I have nothing else. Do we have shout outs? I don't think so. Do we? I have one. So we got a donation to our PayPal. Thank you to Leanne. Thanks, Leanne. Yeah. Woo woo woo. <laughs> You're winning the game. Uh and I got an answer from Michael Shaben about Dr. Nashala. Yeah. His answer was that he's touched that we're so worried about her. <laughs> But I don't think she's coming back as a character. My new theory is that her only purpose was so we could learn about this process of what life is like in the Borg Cube. When we got to walk through it, instead of Soji being the new person, someone else was the new person. Right. And I think also your theory that she was there to remind us that people in this world find Dr. Fuckboy attractive. (laughs) But yeah, it's frustrating when TV shows introduce female characters and characters of color and then just get rid of them. Right. And it's a, it feels a little bit like colorism also, where the lighter-skinned people of color are featured characters and the darker-skinned people of color are totally one-off and have, like, one scene. Yeah, I mean, I find that persuasive, but as a white woman, I'm not sure I can speak to that. Colorism is real. So that's where we're at. So Dr. Nashala. But still, like, also, squeeze. Yeah, yeah. Michael Shaman replied. The tiny thrill of my heart that Michael Shaman <laughs> replied. Uh, he also, we po- reposted some of his question answers on our Instagram. And then I wrote that my mom didn't think it was really him answering the questions. And he wrote back. It was like, it's really me, Ryan's mom. Why don't you have any faith in the world? Do you also not believe in the great pumpkin? Yes. <laughs> so then I had a huge thrill in my heart and uh, freaked out for like, half a day over this. It really made my day. Thank you, Michael Shaven, for writing back to me. My mom is now embarrassed even though she wasn't mentioned by name. (laughs) Um, But this also leads me to my new campaign, which is get Michael Chavin to agree to come onto our podcast. Yes. So talk do stuff with us, Michael Chavin. I, I mean, I don't I don't feel like it could hurt him. You know, we are we are two Jewish women living in the Bay Area doing feminist stuff. I feel like this hits a lot of your boxes. You've got that great t-shirt with Star Trek and the Enterprise and the Rainbow on it. I have that same t-shirt. We have so much in common. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've got questions. All yeah. right. Again soliciting your feedback yeah Um, for example if you told us how much you like us in a private message just copy and paste that as a public review yes okay i think we really have to to sign out so thanks again for listening live long and prosper peace and long life intertractional is a production of federation and fempire written and produced by ryan Ascalesi and becca mutola barnes original music by danny kavka Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really really helps. You can donate to us at 
paypal.me slash Federation and Fempire, or you can become a member of our member feed on PodFan, that is pod.fan slash intertractional. Yeah. If you are one of our parents and are still listening to our show without watching the show, like (laughs) this is what you're missing. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Go watch this episode. It's very, very fun. 